Hey, here we go, here we go, here we go. Steven Nyquist. Is this working? You sure? Here we go, here we go. Just stop where you are. Let's pray. Just fold your hands, close your eyes. Let's pray. We beg you, O oh Lord, we beg you to help us and defend us. Deliver the oppressed. Pity the insignificant. Raise the fallen. Show yourself to the needy. Heal the sick. Bring back those of your people who have gone astray. Feed the hungry. Lift up the weak. Take off the prisoner's chains. May every nation come to know that you alone are God, that Jesus Christ is your child, that we are your people, the sheep of your pastor. Amen. A uh, couple of things. You know, here's, I talked, uh, I had long talks with John Kleinig when I was here about what we were going to do, and he's thought a lot about prayer, and we've talked in our own lives a lot about prayer. And one of the things he said is, you know, to pray simply with you so that you have um, kind of a default on how to proceed. Thank you very much for this, and please grant us that. On the other hand, um, I run into a prayer like this, which was on the front of the bulletin from St. Clement. Now, you can hardly do better. It's between the commas, you only have a couple of words. Heal the sick, show yourself to the needy, raise the fallen. And those are all biblical things for which we pray. Um, prayer isn't uh, difficult except in the doing of it, right? I mean, and part of the reason we give you these prayers is so you can take these home and pray them yourself. This is a, this is a beautiful prayer by somebody who's a Christian. You can tell he's a Christian by the way he prays. He prays for the things that Jesus wants, and he prays that we would participate with Jesus in the things that need to be done. I'm struck by, uh, you know, kind of what's happening nationally and around the world lately. The increase of power and moving people around for their own good and the willingness to um, hurt other people and even go to war is such an interesting thing in all sides and how resistance works on both sides. But it's a very easy step then for people who are given to peace to go to war. There's so much going on. And then you have this very simple prayer from somebody who says, this is what we need. We need you to help people who are oppressed. There are a lot of insignificant people around. We wish you'd stand by them. People fall down, help them up. There's people in need get close to them. Sick people need to be healed, and people who've wandered need to be brought home. We've got a lot of hungry people. They should be fed. This is a prayer for America, right? There are weak people. If you could strengthen them, that'd be good. And there are people in prison who shouldn't be in prison, so take off their chains. And then let people know the reason all that works out is because um, we're the church. We belong to you, and we want to do good, which is very different than exercising power to get your way. So Jesus always works by the cross. And the single mystery of Jesus is that he dies in order to live. And it's, it's just it's so different than the world, right? The world is a place that's filled with a grip for power right now, a grasp for power. So you get to be on the other side of that. And with your prayers, uh, you, you, tell, you tell people who you are. And in fact, you tell yourself who you are. It's just a, it was a startlingly good prayer. So I, um, I give you that. In the offering baskets, um, the money... Last week I said, where's Betsy Karkin? Well, she's down teaching Sunday school, of course, uh, because she's clever and great with kids, and she knows a lot, and she's wonderful, and she volunteered to do it. And actually, it's a pretty good system. I always regret when people aren't here, but on the other hand, they regret when they don't have Sunday school teachers. So, you know, we sort of push and pull, and 30 days at a time, and it's very been cleverly worked out by Pastor Bukes and Pastor Nelson, so they're doing a good... um, 
good job with that. Anyway, if you put some money in there, it'll go to the LERT team, the almost now famous LERT team, the LERT team for whom other LERT teams lust in their hearts for such a trailer as this. So um, good job with the trailer. Good jo- they, they did a lot of good yesterday. A bunch of people went to Huntley, and then they stopped and did a good deed on the way back for somebody who really needed some help. And uh, the, You know, it's funny how... It's just funny how much work you do. Um, in fact, we're calculating. We've got a little bit of a spreadsheet going almost for the last year. John and I and Sandy have been running it as an experiment just to kind of look at the number of hours that people do volunteering. It's a startling number, the amount of hours you put in. We haven't figured out quite how to use it or um, how to talk about it, but it's really amazing the amount of good that you all do in the world. But keep going. It's a tough world. People need help. Um, keep going. So if you toss some money in there, it'll go in some sense to the alert team uh, uh, yesterday at Trinity Huntley and then other places too. Did y'all, did y'all, did y'all say your prayers this week? Yeah. Now, no. did, did, you, did you pray for Tom Hank? Yeah. <laughs> now, Bev, did, it, did he get better? He did. He did. Perfect. So keep praying for Tom, apparently. Uh, I appreciate glad it. Glad to say I know, right? <laughs> Maybe we should rotate it around. We don't want you to get too much better than the rest of us. That'd be kind of hard on us. But if you could um, toss up in the morning four or five words. You know, so, so what I want you to do is, not, not, I just am kind of curious. When you, if, you, know, you don't have to, not to put the press on you, but what did, you, did you learn anything when you had a prayer in the morning and prayer at night, five words or less? Did you learn anything? Anything happened to you? Yeah, well, yeah, right. Well, now you live with Mrs. Scheidt, so it's probably easy for you to be at peace. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, Jesus coming by, too, and the Holy Spirit working on you, that's probably good for you, Mr. Scheidt, huh? Right? Yeah. Um, anything else? So just this sense of peace, that things work? Anybody else want to say anything about that? I found that my prayers kind of... Well, go ahead. Well, it, it really started... It, it took a few days, but it was quieted my mind. Right. And I felt like more like I was just in the presence of God, and I could just... It. Right. And whereas usually the other way, always thinking of how, what does, what's my punch list. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Force me to just. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, just to actually. There's an admission. Prayer is an admission that you're not in control, and that somebody else is running the show. And while for all you Type A's in the audience, it might be just a little bit difficult to loosen your grip. Once loosened, kind of nice, right? And you do find, now, I just, I'm just curious, I'll just ask you because you were brave enough to say, did your punch list come back to you then? Not, not so much. God bless you, my child. Because what happens with me is, it just gets backed up for a little bit, but then I start to think. Well, I just kept going back to my, my, my basic thing was, Lord, help me do better. Yeah, right. This is very nice. I mean, Lord, help me do better is a very nice prayer. Amen, right? I mean, it doesn't take much, and we'll ha- it'll, it'll happen something like this. It doesn't take much. You'll start to like it. The devil will attack you. It'll be really difficult. You'll forget about it. You'll feel bad about it. You try to recover. It'll be harder the next time, but it'll, go, it'll be a little stronger, but you kind of won't notice it. But occasionally you'll see a breakthrough more, and then... It, the rest of your life will be kind of this push and, and tug. But I just want to encourage you. I don't want to give you too much too fast, but if you can just, so your simple assignment is, you know, five words in the morning, five words at night. If you can just kind of start with that. 
You know, obviously, it's great to go to the Lord's Prayer in the morning, the Lord's Prayer at night. There's Luther's Prayer. There's these beautiful prayers in the bulletin. But if you can just, there's something about the habit of it in the morning and the evening. It reminds you who you are. It relativizes your life. You remember that you're a point number two or point number three. There's God and then other people and then you. And you're, um, as you do at your job, you're managing up, right? <laughs> you know, you're asking your boss to uh, do a little better for you, and that's okay. So we're aiming at a, we're aiming at a rhythm, and we hope that'll work out. Uh, you know, last week I kind of blitzed through quickly, so I'm going to try to slow down just a little bit uh, and talk about this. Although, I should slow down even further and say, you know, what's been in my mind forever is I need to say out loud because I've kind of goofed up the timing. So my daughter is being married here the 27th of October. Saturday, 7.30, you're all invited. Um, there'll be a wedding and a food truck and beer and great bottles of wine, and we'll stay up all night if you want. We just have to kind of be snapped back to our senses by 8.30 the next morning. <laughs> <coughs> So you're all invited. I got, I got no idea what that means, but um, it should be a blast. So I meant to start putting it in, the, uh, in life together, but there are people missing it uh, different places, so I probably won't even get it in this week. However, 7.30, so there'll be a mass at 5.30, and then there'll be some scooching around around 6.30, and then it'll be by candlelight at 7.30. It should be nice. So um, please come. There's going to be some great musicians if all things um, go according to plan and a great party. So you're all invited. I mean, anybody can come. It's just like whoever wants to come, come. Uh, we'll have some fun. But I want to make sure that, and I'll, can you tell the joy group, I'll try to come on Wednesday. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give a paper, so I'm not going to be around on Wednesday morning. Will you tell the joy group? Yes. Okay, so, so good. All right, questions about anything else at St. John? I know we got a lot of things that are, here. the microphones, I apologize, we're working on it. New speakers, half of them are here. Um, the lighting, half the lighting came, you know, it's like everything, this, this is the sort of thing that, uh, you know, makes me crazy, because I feel like we always want to try to do things at 100%, and then when we miss, we're at 90%. Well, you know, we're functioning at about 82%, and when we miss, it makes you want to, you know, pull your hair out if you had hair. So the thing is, is, you know, I apologize for that. We're kind of going as fast as we can, but man, it's been a long pull for many of these things that are kind of done halfway, but we'll, we'll get it right. I promise you we will. Yes, please. Yeah, what are you, we trying to start a fight? <laughs> <coughs> when is the director coming out? I don't have any idea, but I actually don't want to talk about it too much. I'll say this. The company that we bought the director from was bought themselves halfway through the process. I don't know if that slowed it down. There's been this thing of trying to lean into him a little bit, but not too hard. Uh, I will try to discover this a little bit and see. I, I know you've been very patient with this as well. There's a list of these things. This is kind of, to my mind, this is all just kind of satanic. There is nothing that we've done really, really well in the last eight months. Um, everything has had a glitch. People didn't come through. Something happened. Fell by the wayside. And we're, but we're trying to, you know, when things happen. This is why when Sunday morning goes bad, that's just the worst. Like when we open up and a microphone goes crazy. For me, that is just like, if that is not the unforgivable sin, it should have been, okay? <laughs> so we have all these little things. We're trying to tick them off the list, but it is maddening right now. So I'm just going to say, if you're doing anything, if you're a volunteer, follow directions, do it well, get it done, 
because there are other volunteers and staff waiting behind you. If you're working on something, if you're doing something, please do it correctly. Not on your time, not to your specs, not to your you know, advantage. Do it in the way of a servant. Do it right, get it done. And remember that there are 700 people around you who are all depending on that. Because what happens is we don't have enough staff to clean things up when they go wrong. The directors are a great example. Um, but it's frustrating because then we have visitors come and things aren't good and blah, 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 blah. So everybody needs to up their game, including us. But um, as soon as September starts, you know, we're deflected into other things. So we'll, we'll try to keep going and see what can, what can happen. All right, let's go, because I don't want to spend all my time with, with that. Um, last week, prayer is this dazzling gift. It's a beautiful thing that God gives you. He gives it into your heart and into your hands. So God says these wonderful things like, when you saw this from the outline last week, before you ask, I'm already answering. Before you ask, I'm already giving, Right? You're just getting to play along. So I love you, and I give you prayer as a gift. I give you Jesus as your ally who prays for you all day long, Romans 6. I give, put the Holy Spirit into you who, in that beautiful verse from Romans says, who looks at all the things that trouble us and prays from inside us to outside us with sighs too deep for words. So we have these wonderful things. It's like all the other gifts that God gives. It's not that God doesn't give. It's that we don't use. And one of the things that's difficult is we don't realize that prayer adds beauty and joy to our own lives. We have, you know, even kind of the stress I was expressing to you the last 10 minutes. What we forget is that when we pray, what Jesus wants to do is make our lives beautiful, make our lives joyful, make our lives patient, make our lives focused, make our lives relevant, right? Make our lives different. This is the gift that God is giving. And the problem has never been that God doesn't give sufficiently. The problem is that we get distracted, ignore it, think we don't need it, go off on our own, figure our own way. And then, of course, and I've just turned the page to the top of page two, Satan makes it hard on us. One of the things that have, you know, one of the things that have in John here is that I always get the sense that John has met Satan in person. They probably didn't shake hands, but they certainly stared into each other's eyes. And what happens with John, when you talk to him then, is you have this real sense of um, the battle that goes on between light and darkness in the world. It's not this abstract battle that there might be an evil out there somewhere that we have in America. And people are better, mostly better than, better than they are terrible, so it'll all sort of shake out. No, no, this is sort of the cosmic thing of the Didache, right? There is a path that is the way to life. There is a path that is the way to the death. The two don't meet, right? So you pick one and you walk it, and prayer is part of that. Um, one of the interesting things, and I'm just above, at the above number two, um, one good thing that John often s- says uh, is that only good can come from prayer. Your prayers actually can't go bad. So... This can be one of the places where you can be sure that you won't do evil in your prayers. If you pray in the name of Jesus and in love, which is actually to say the same thing, Jesus will always hear that prayer, and it can't go wrong. In fact, John will go so far as to say that an evil man um, 
if he prays in Jesus' name, he becomes a Christian. And he has some examples of this, of people who, for example, have been under attack by demons and have just said, Jesus, help me. And the, their whole world changes, right? They become Christians in that moment. This is scripture, of course. If you take the name of Jesus on your lips, no man can take the name of Jesus on, your lip, on his lips except by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you say your prayers, you're in. But then the question for today, and this is the most important thing, and I think this sometimes um, befuddles us, especially if we feel like we've said prayers and they don't get answered, right? So why would anybody ever listen to me? You know, is it just wasted energy? Now, later we'll talk about the subtleties of looking for answers and how things get, you might pray for A and it get answers B, or you might get answers Z, and that might not, you might not ever know that because you can't always see what your prayers do in real time, or it might not be what you wanted, and so you don't recognize that as a blessing. Or I talked a little bit about Simone Weil last week where we think that our suffering, we always think of suffering as something to be solved or be relieved, a puzzle to be solved, a problem to be relieved. Simone Weil would talk about suffering as a lesson to be learned. So sometimes, like Paul's thorn in the side, we have this trouble and we pray about it and we are a different kind of person because we have a thorn. Okay, and that's your life. And if you're willing to measure your life by the gifts that Jesus gives, then that's a good life. But see, that's not how we talk. So um, all of that bundled up, um, let's try to focus down to one thing, like how you can pray with confidence and why you'd even bother with ten words, five in the morning at five at night. Um, why would God listen to you? And I know many of you feel like nobody listens to you in real life. I think I've told you about the friend, I've told you this story, but you know, just to remember, my friend who said the happiest day of his life was when he said to his five kids, get in the minivan, and they all got in the minivan, right? <laughs> You kind of think to yourself, hey, nobody ever listens to me about anything else. Why would God listen to me? And the answer is really easy. This is point number three, because you are a friend of Jesus. And this is a beautiful little text from Monday, Thursday. You remember John's gospel? Most of it comes in the last um, three or four days of Jesus' life. Most of John's gospel, right? Already here we are in John 15. He's already you know, praying out with his disciples and, you know, they're on the way to the garden and all the rest. But he has this very interesting things where he says, you are my friends. All right, so Jesus says to you, you are my friends. Hey, you're my friends. If you were at a cocktail party and Jesus was introducing you, he would say, oh, um, this is my friend Diane, right? This is my friend Jeanette. That's how Jesus would talk. This is my friend Karen. You should, you'd like her. You should meet her. You can hardly imagine what that would be like. So Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I bid you. Now, you shouldn't think about that as, you know, shape up and maybe the way your parents talked and do this. And if you don't do this, you're no daughter of mine and blah, blah. You know, this is if you do what I gave you, left behind, told you about. If you agree that, you know, God is for you and not against you and he listens when you say your prayers and he brings you to church every Sunday to love you and that if you want to live in the image of God, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, tell the truth, be happy with what you've got, stay sexually pure, right? And you'll then live in the image of God and the Holy, God is the Holy Trinity, right? So you're my friends 
Hey, you're in. You're in. You're my friends if you're in. You're in, right? We're all in, right? We've talked this over. Now it's getting a little tough here. We've been doing this for three years. But you're my friends, really, right? We're friends? You're my friends. You're my friends, aren't you? Yes, you are. Right? You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants because a servant doesn't ma know what his master is doing. Now, here's the thing. That's like there's a thousand things going off in that, in those 30 words. Hey, you're my friends if you do what I say. I don't call you servants because servants don't know what the master is doing. You're my friends. You're my friends because what I heard from my father I, I made known to you. So you're my friends because we talk. Okay, now I've just flipped over to number four. This is really, really important because friend is a technical word in scripture. And John has talked about this in the past, and some of you have heard parts of this lecture, and he's written a book on this, so it's a, it's a very nice little bit. But it's basically like this. In the ancient world, there were, in any palace, there were two kinds of people. There were people who were ordinary servants who did the work. And then there were courtiers. Or technically, they were called friends of the king. Right? And they were treated as honorary members of the family. So if you were a servant, you did what you were told. But if you were a friend of the king, you were treated as family. You could give advice. You could ask advice. You could have your complaints heard. You could bring the cares and troubles of your friends. You could ask for favor, right? So ordinary service just followed orders, but courtiers. They were members of the king's cabinet, and they worked with the king, and they lived with the king. They lived in the palace. So it's this big, extended family. And you could get to the king any time you needed to get to the king. Right? They were honorary family members. And suddenly you find out that this is a very honorific title. Starting with Abraham... God spoke of some people in Scripture as his friends. This was a very, very important thing. It was said not of a lot of people, and when it was said, it packed a big punch. So when Jesus says it about you, it means that you and Jesus, you know, you're, you're just like this, right? So when you push out five words and say amen, Jesus is paying attention, and he will do for you what's best. Now, in Abraham... Uh, in the story of Abraham, we're in good company. Abraham is called God's friends. Uh, the Lord chose him, and he talks things over with Abraham, and he uses him to go good, and he uses him also to extend his kingdom, to administer righteousness and justice. This is exactly what happens to you. When Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command you, he's basically saying, you're all in, and I'm going to use you. So you're going to talk to me, and I'm going to give you things to do. You're going to give me advice, and I'm going to answer you. I'm going to bump and nudge your life around so it works to your advantage, and you're going to work for me. This is just a description of the church. So if you're in the church, if you're baptized, if you receive the Holy Supper, if you have the good gifts of God, you're a friend of the king. It's a remarkable thing to say about somebody. I'm going to turn the page now and give you the text from James. We've done James together, so you won't be thrown by some of this. And you know that sometimes Luther struggled with parts of this about the works part, but you know how that works already because it's Jesus working in you. 
So this is kind of a beautiful thing. Hey, you should do some good works because that's what we do. This is what our family does. You can't just say this is the first few years. You don't just say when you see a hungry person, go be warm, be filled, right? That's fake. It's the first prayer we did. Christians feed other people and keep them warm, right? And then the next part, just a little paragraph. Hey, if you got faith, then you have works and you can't pull them apart. Even the demons believe, every, the demons believe that God is God, but they don't trust him. They're not part of the family, right? Now look at verse 21, the third paragraph there. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now, you've got to hear this in the right way, which is he was a moon worshiper in Ur. The Lord came to him and pulled him out moved him to, the, to a new place, right? Took him to Mount Zion, where the temple would be built later, right? And says to him, sacrifice your son, and, you know, God against God, who doesn't murder, doesn't harm. Abraham starts, and then God stops him, right? So he's this thing you could hardly, you can't imagine what this would be like. You know, you can't, you can't imagine. It's unimaginable to, to think this way. And yet, only because Abraham loved God more than he loved his son, loved God more than he loved his wife, loved God more than he loved the land, loved God more than anything. That is a work of faith. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. This is exactly what Jesus said in John 15. If you're my friend, you do what I say. Hey, everybody who's my friend does what I say. And the script does what I say. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, so faith. It was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Right? So you have the same status as Abraham does. You have the same status as Isaac or Jacob. You have the same status as David or Isaiah. You know, the big finish is that you have the same status as Jesus. Why would anybody listen to you? Here, your life is difficult. You know, kids don't listen. Your spouse is cold. Work is horrible. Your church, the microphones don't even work. You know, think about it, right? Your world is going straight to hell. Why would anybody listen to you if you said, set that board and make it work for the next service? Why would anybody listen to that? Because I'm a friend of Jesus, and if it doesn't work... I'm a friend of Jesus, okay? No, come on. So you're, he was called a friend of Jesus, right? Well, like Abraham, you're God's friends. So Jesus is this son of the father, the deputy of the father, the prince, if you will. And you learned last week that he sits on one side of the father from Romans 8, and he intercedes for you. Technical kind of prayer. He asks for your best. All day long, Jesus says, this would be best. This would be best for you. This would be best for you. This would be best for you. This would be... Now, the Maldrays, this would be best for you. But the Craigs, don't forget about the Cadillac the Maldrays are getting. Just get them a directory, right? That's the kind of thing that Jesus is apparently doing all day long. And then, um, you know, the Holy Spirit, and this is even more beautiful, I think, with sighs too deep for words, right? The things you couldn't even... Hope to ask for, you're too shy. They seem like too much. You can't work it out. 
in a linear fashion, A, B, C, D, E, you got no idea. So you, the Holy Spirit from you sighs. With your sins, with your lack of repentance, if you don't go to church, if you don't listen, if you never pay any attention, if you can't even throw up five words morning and evening, if you want to be on your own, if you want to find another king, right, if you want to make some new friends, you know, okay, but it's a really bad idea, right? It's a, that's the prodigal son. That's, there's a story about that, the prodigal son. So you think about John 15. Jesus listens to the Father. Jesus speaks to the Father. Jesus does the Father's work on earth. And then Jesus tells you all about that. He tells you who the Father is and what the Father says and what the Father's doing. And then he talks to the Father on your behalf. He intercedes for you all day long. And then on Monday, Thursday, this beautiful thing where he not only gives him the Holy Supper, but he says, you're my friends. Right, you're my friends. So you're Jesus' friend by virtue of your baptism. So you got that in the sermon this morning, and that was genius. And you're Jesus' friend because you have Jesus put into you, the body and blood put into you. And you're um, God's friend because um, the Holy, his Holy Spirit fills you, right? We know all of this. This is the middle of the next page where I... You know, I, I don't do all of these things every time, but you know this from Matthew 28, that disciples are made by baptizing and teaching. God's name is put on you. You become part of the family. In Romans 6, we're baptized into Christ and we're in Christ. But maybe this is the most important thing, kind of um, just more than halfway down, the quote from Luther. Why should anybody listen to you? Because you and Jesus are the same person. Right? Jesus is on you, Jesus is in you, Jesus is for you. When the Heavenly Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. When your Heavenly Father looks at you, he only sees holiness. He only sees good, he only sees righteousness, he sees forgiveness. When he sees Jesus, he sees sin. When he sees you, he sees holiness. That's what happened on the cross. That's what we mean. What it, what it means is that Jesus takes your sins away. It means he takes them to himself. So Jesus is careful here. The biggest sinner who ever lived. The very first people who transferred out of St. John after I came here. <laughs> it must not have taken me long. Um, I <laughs> either taught a Bible study or had a sermon where I sort of offhandedly said, Jesus is the, bigger who, the biggest sinner who ever lived. And this couple came to meet with me and they're like, man, we cannot go to a church where you talk about Jesus that way. I'm like, Burr? He who knew no sin became sin for us. Right? He becomes sin, you become righteous. That's the single story of the scriptures. Jesus is the biggest sinner who ever lived. You should fill his pockets with your sins. And then when the the Heavenly Father looks at you, all he sees is perfection. All he does is lavish love on you. All he gives is care. If you will simply let Jesus have your sins, so Jesus takes away your sins, don't take them back. If you take them back, you know, if you go right back to the old things you were doing, if you... You know, all the old sins you had, that you know, from pornography to drugs to being unfaithful to stealing from work to being sassy to just pick it, right? If you want to be on your own, if you don't want to be a son of God, if you don't want to be a friend of Jesus, don't say the church didn't tell you, right? But, you know, that's such a harsh bit of law. Here's a much better story. 
God loves you. God sent his son. God deputized him. God cements him to you. He cements him to you in your baptism. He gives you his name. He cements him to you in the Holy Supper. You bear the death of Jesus in your body. Everything is forgiven. Everything is loved. He wants to use you. He wants to include you. You're his friend. Come be part of the family. Sit close. Talk about whatever you want. Weep if you want. Scream and yell about how happy you are. You're part of the gang, and you could never be other. Okay? Christ is fixed and cemented to me and abides in me. And you remember that this John 15 passage is the abide in me and I in you. This is the vine, uh, um, um, branches and vine text is right in here, right? So Christ is fixed and cemented to me and abides in me. The life that I live, he lives in me, right? Christ himself is the life that I now live in this way. Therefore, Christ and I are one. There you go. When Christ looks at me, or when the Father looks at me, he sees Christ. And if you need, you know, some cogent way to talk about this, you should think to yourself that when Jesus, I'm sorry, when the Father looks at you, he says about you exactly what he said about Jesus at his baptism. This is my beloved. When God looks at you, he says, you are my beloved. It's interesting that the scriptures, and I gave you both of them, talk both of them. So in, in one reading... The father speaks to the son. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. In another reading, he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Both of those are true. There is the assurance to you, you are my beloved, right? No matter what anybody else thinks, you are my beloved. And then for the whole world to know, this is my beloved. This is my friend. This is my child. This is my family. This is my advisor. Why would anybody listen to you? Because you are a child of God. I just turned to seven. And God is really, really proud of you. God is really pleased with you. Yeah, you're not perfect. We knew that going in. But if you'll just have what Jesus gives, right? If you'll do as Jesus asks, and hear that in a gospel way. That is, do the things of your new life that you're prompted to do now because you've been to the Holy Supper today and you've been baptized and you know what's right and you know what's wrong and you know that loving God is the path to life and loving the world is the path to death. So that is all distilled down into this very simple thing, which is you're my beloved son and I'm really proud of you. You're my beloved and I'm really pleased with you. That's how Jesus talks about each one of you. And you should never forget that, because when you forget that, it cripples you. And then it's difficult for you to do good, and it's difficult to say your prayers. You know, God is your proud papa. This is just above number eight. And because he's proud of you, he trusts you. Because he knows that Jesus prays for you and his Holy Spirit is with you, he gives you work to do. He gives you status and responsibility, just like Abraham, so that you can... Do the work that he's given you to do. So I just flipped to number nine. He loves you, so he lets you pray. He's going to listen to you. Why shouldn't anybody listen to you? Because that's what you were made for. You were made to be heard. You were made to live. You were made to rejoice, right? Not just for yourself, but for other people. You were made for a beautiful life. You were made to enjoy the world in holiness, right? You were made to enjoy relationships, Holy marriage, family, 
right? You're a community like this of believers. You, you were made to rejoice in the world knowing that you can't solve everything. Right? You might have seen the article, Bill Gates penned an article this week about um, how he keeps going even though, you know, you know, he's taking his money to try to solve what are insoluble problems, malaria, poverty, education, da 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 da, da. And, you know, of course, they've spent billions of dollars now, and um, they don't always move the needle. But, you know, it's interesting, and this is, these things, they are secular reflections of what we know from God. He said, you know, the, you, it's basically the glass, glass is half full or half empty. He said, I'm, I'm working on the half empty part, and I'm staring at the half full part, Right? So you have to say, you know, one of the microphones worked this morning. <laughs> like that. Okay. So, um, you know, why would anybody listen to you? People would listen to you because you're family. How you doing? Make sense? Questions about any of that? Yes. Maybe we could. Do you know anybody who plays the organ or works on the <laughs> bulletins or anything like that? Maybe they did, but maybe you need to be more directive since you've been deputized by the Lord himself with that vision you've had to say. The only problem is our, a lot of that stuff is done a couple of weeks in advance, but I'm sure Peter would be willing to slip it in in the coming weeks <laughs> when he's not working on the microphones, yes. Yes, please. How can the biggest sinner in all the world sit at the right hand of God? Yes, right. Yes, that's, that's good. It's a, it's a fascinating question. How can the um, biggest sinner in all the world sit at the right hand of God? I'm going to give you two answers. Um, I often think of Jesus and of you and me. As, uh, I think of Jesus first, but then Christians too. Is, I think of Jesus as a big sponge, right? That absorbs the ills of the world, right? So, and I think of you that way too. And I think of pastors that way, Christians. You, you walk through the world and you absorb the pain of the world. Boom. Um, that's the first part. So, and it just happens that Jesus absorbs every sin, right? So you think of all the sins you've ever done. You put that on Jesus. He's absorbed that. He sucked it right out of you. And the only way that can hurt you is if you give him a squeeze and tear it back from him. However, among the things that happens at Good Friday is that death dies. Sin dies. Satan dies, if you will. So this great scene, I don't know if you remember from um, the Mel Gibson movie. Yeah. Remember right at the point where Jesus dies, there's the devil, is, there's a scene from above where he's rejoicing like this. And there's this giant tear that kind of drops from heaven and drowns him. Right? It's like that. So sin dies, death dies. So Jesus is the biggest sinner that ever lived, but that's only half the story. The other half of the story, he's the biggest sinner who ever lived who killed sin, who absorbed sin. He's the biggest sinner who ever lived who died, and then the Heavenly Father has the last laugh by raising him wholly from the dead, Right? Whatever happens on Good Friday, 
whatever happens, it has to do with the death of your sins, the death of death, the destruction of your sins, the annihilation. It's like, you know, those big incinerators where you put everything in and nothing comes out, right? It's like that. It's hard to explain other than by analogy, but he is holy beyond sin, right? I'll try to find you somebody. I'll, I'll poke around, see if I can find you a church mother or church father who could say it better than me, okay? I'll try to work on that a little bit. But you have to, you have to, you have to have the Good Friday story in there as the death of death, and then it all works out, right? It's, it's, you know what it's like? It's like when they see Jesus after Easter, and he still has his scars. So he says to Thomas, you like, put your, like, put your finger here, right? It's like that. It's like he has scars, and yet they've been redeemed. So he did this work, and he did it completely, and yet there's something even beyond that. And I'm be very curious about you. I will meet you in heaven. I'll be very curious about you, whether you'll bear your scars in heaven too. You'll say like, yeah, it was right here. That's where Lucia got me. Ouch, right? And then, but you'll say something like, but it doesn't hurt anymore, right? And God got me through that one. I'm very curious about what, what that will be like. This whole notion that will kind of, kind of flit through all, all brightness and light. I, yeah, just there, that might not be. It might, there might be more joy to say that we've been redeemed and healed. There might be more joy in that, and heaven will be more joy. So something like that. Okay, it's difficult. It's difficult to understand. Anything else? All right. In the morning, when you wake up, make the sign of the cross and say. Five words, you know. You can press on a little bit if you have the strength, or you can let your mind wander a little bit if you want. But um, you know, not. It would be better to have all of you doing a little bit, kind of. We're all in it together, girls and boys. Um, it'd be better for all of us to kind of de- to, to develop this habit and be together. As Jesus says, you're not heard for your many words, so choose wisely. Um, but just to reorient your life morning and evening the way they did from forever, right? At the temple, Jesus did it himself. In Acts 2, they're doing it. This is good for you. It's in the catechism, right, Luther, in the morning. Make a sign of the cross and say, you know, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and this little prayer that I wrote if you want. But just start with just the habit of Jesus bless me, Jesus love me, Jesus help me. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, remember my children. Jesus, remember my spouse. Jesus, remember my church. Jesus, for goodness sakes, you know, whatever it happens to be. All right, let's pray and let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, love you. Thanks. See you soon.